When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Forever. Hello, bienvenidos. I am Gabe Gonzalez, and you're listening to the QWERTY Podcast. This is a weekly show, a truly blessed union between QWERTY and Forever Dog, where I will be your host, uh, and I will join you in this journey through news, politics, and pop culture that is impacting the LGBTQ plus community, and I will invite a guest to hang out a little bit. We're going to reflect on the week and just generally keep it cute, all right? We're going to just straightforward mandates today and forever. On today's episode, we're talking about the gay icons accidentally birthed by Jerry Falwell, a new study that reveals what any Stonewall vet could have told you already, and why Andy Cohen is waiting for someone special to smack him. Plus, we've got a very funny guest today I've had the privilege of seeing live, and I'm so excited to have on. He's been a performer at UCB. He's been seen at festivals around the country, including the Austin Sketch Fest and Philly Sketch Fest, and recently wrote and appeared on the new Peacock comedy series, Rutherford Falls. Ty LeClaire is here to talk to us about moving cross-country during the pandemic, why his latest gig was so special, and how he feels about Lori Beth Denberg. Uh, We're going to get to those headlines first, though, in a quick roundup of my favorite stories from the week that I have culled and rounded up from QWERTY. Uh, And this segment is called Catch Her Up. We're briskly walking to keep up with the pace of news these days. It's truly breakneck. Our first headline of the week, Andy Cohen talks about why a gay housewife hasn't happened yet. In a recent interview on the podcast Going to Bed with Garcelle, Andy Cohen talked about the possibility of adding lesbians or gay men to the Real Housewives franchise, saying it's almost happened before, even as far back as 2008 or 2009. But Cohen says it's ultimately a show about the women. And while that's an awfully binary answer, in terms of gender, I do think he's kind of right. Like, I think it's one thing casting queer women or even non-binary folks on the show, but if I wanted to see cis gay couples getting into drunk fights in houses I'll never be able to afford, I would sneak into a Fire Island pool party. And if you think gays are mean to cis straight housewives now, think of how mean they'll be to one of our own on the show. I don't know. It would truly be a bloodbath at the reunions. Anyway, Cohen concluded by saying, if the right person, quote, smacked him in the face, end quote, then maybe we'll see some queer house spouses. So you heard it here, first ladies, gays and bays. If you see Andy Cohen this summer, you're a slap from being paid to spin around and make up a catchphrase. That's a plum gag. I love that. Our second headline of the week, a new study reveals queer people are more likely to be stopped by police. File this one under shocker, a marginalized community being disproportionately targeted by law enforcement. It's almost like what we're celebrating in June commemorates 
something like that. That's happened before. Mm, Strange. Anyway, fast forward to 2021 when a study by the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law revealed LGBTQ people are six times more likely than the general population to be stopped by police. In their conclusion, the study's authors said the much higher rates of LGBTQ adults reporting being approached by the police is consistent with the idea that LGBTQ people are overpoliced and raises the issue of bias-based profiling of LGBT communities in general. The study also shows that out of the LGBTQ people who have called police for help, nearly one in four say they're unlikely to call the police again in the future. The study also clarifies that they use the acronym LGBTQ because data about transgender people were not available on the data sets analyzed for this brief, but the research indicates that transgender people, particularly women of color, are at heightened risk of negative police interactions, including harassment and assault. Our final headline of the week, Teletubbies and Glad have released a a merch line. This is a real headline, the collab of the century that will exclusively benefit Glad this Pride Month, including items like tube socks and bucket hats if you really want to commit to the decade. The phrase Teletubbies love Pride might not seem entirely surprising these days. But the funniest thing of all is that despite their flamboyant appearance and inability to sit down normally and their weird vacuum-shaped friend with a suspiciously long nozzle, the Teletubbies were never created to represent or entertain an explicitly queer audience. But after right-wing pastor Jerry Falwell spent years accusing the children's show of spreading a homosexual agenda, his words, not mine, although it's a catchy phrase, it's almost as if he willed this moment into existence. He made the Teletubbies gay, and now they're helping fundraise for GLAD. So here's to homophobes helping us create more fictional characters to appropriate and profit from. I like this arc. This is this is the direction the arc of history is bending toward. All right. We all like a little curve in our life. It's a little more pleasurable. All right. Now it is time to bring on our next guest before I go too far afield (laughs) in my musings. Our guest today is a comedian, writer and actor you've seen as a house player with UCB's characters. Welcome. A co-host on the show. Thanks, but no Thanksgiving that played at Union Hall and a performer who's done stand up on both coasts and a few places in between, as well as someone who's fresh off a gig as a writer on Peacock's hit comedy Rutherford Falls, created by Mike Schur, Ed Helms and Sierra Teller Ornelas, a very talented, kind and funny person I cannot wait to hang out with for a little little bit we've got tyler claire on the podcast hi how are you hi i'm good i i'm good i'm truly like there's no other word it's no (laughs) it's not higher than that it's not lower than that it's kind of just good it's the serviceable response for weird times i I always feel like it's a loaded question but you know why not like dive head first why not why not yeah i saw that snl sketch where they're like you know the the party like trying to talk post-covid and i'm like I'm trying my best not to say any of those things, right, and yeah. I'm failing <laughs> spectacularly. I usually, when it happens in person and someone asks me how I am, I kind of like, I, I feel like I, my eyes just glaze and I sort of stare off into the distance. Like, I, have, I don't know, I have a moment where I freeze for a bit. I'm not really sure what to say, but the tables have turned. Now I'm asking the questions. <laughs> when I first met you, you were in New York, but you've been out in LA for a bit. Are you still in LA these days? Is that where you're joining us from? Yeah, I'm actually, I've only been in LA for about a month. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I briefly subletted here last year when I was on Rutherford in the writer's room pre-COVID, uh, and it was great. And then, you know, that happened, went back to New York, and lo and behold, eventually, how many months later, I've made it to LA. That's wild. <laughs> I feel like every New Yorker sort of flirts with that idea. And then when it finally happens, it's like, hey, come get a taste of the other coast. Um, some of us <laughs> hear the siren call more than others. But <laughs> hey, I was I've I've been in New York for 12 years now. And I was like, you know what? She ain't going anywhere. 
it'll be fine. Let me dip my toes in the in the sand at the west for a little bit, and um, and you know, I'll be back. I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) So you went pre-pandemic, and I remember I have a a non-comedy significant other, and I remember that you were talking. I think either you're your fiance came out to visit you or maybe you dragged them out mm-hmm. with you for the gig. What was that kind of like being like, Hey, um, we're going to, we're going to go another place for a few months. Like how do you sort of break that news <laughs> to a non comedy? I'm really asking for myself at this point, just in case, oh, but <laughs> totally respect. Uh, yes, he's very much a muggle. He is not in the comedy or entertainment business in any way. Bless, 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 bless. He grew up in New York in the New York region. So he, you know, he's very hungry for something new when we were subletting here because he stayed in the New York apartment. Because there's no way I was letting go of that apartment. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got to cling on to that for dear life. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. And I got a cheap old sublet out in East Hollywood over here. And we we sort of just went back and forth for a little while. Like, I'd, I'd go there for a weekend. And then a week or two later, he would come here. You know, at least that was the plan. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened. So he was only able to come here for one weekend. And that was his only LA experience prior to walking into our new apartment here with our luggage and our cat (laughs) and fully, you know, becoming residents of Los Angeles. That's so lovely. And you timed it right. It's the summer. Why not? You're going to, you got to go ahead first. (laughs) Oh, no one, no one told me though about June gloom. No one told me that was a thing. I've never heard of that in my life. Uh, The first, the first four weeks were truly just cloudy, cloudy days, but I'm grateful for them. Truly. Yeah. But I'm ready for the sun. I'm ready for the sun. Yeah, I feel that, man. I'm about to go visit a family in Florida for the first time, I think, in, in almost two years. Um, and I don't know if I can handle the humidity. I feel like it's just going to wave over me like a, I don't know, just a heavy, hot sauna constantly. It's going to be wild. Yeah. But I welcome it. I need some change. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and do some words of comfort, but there, I don't think there is any for that. That is what's going to happen. And it's going to be, uh, your hair is going to look fabulous. Oh God. Yeah. I remember that. I used to, I remember when I was first going through, like I hit age 11 or 12 and I started sprouting leg hair and they would curl in the humidity. Like that's how <laughs> humid it is in Florida. It was very, oh man, great trauma, but you know, we're mining it for, for comedy these days. So you have to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do also want to ask about the gig that kind of dragged you out for LA for those first few days and kind of, you know, brought you over to the other coast. And I, I kind of want to, re- to refer to this really great piece in Variety that I read a while back about how Sierra Teller Ornelas, who is a, a co-creator of Rutherford Falls and a Navajo mm-hmm. Mexican-American woman, brought together a room with four other indigenous writers, including you and the show star Janice Schmeeding and People are like, wow, that is unprecedented for a TV's writer's room, which is both amazing and a little sad that it took until 2021, right? Um, yeah. and, and in the piece, Sierra just said very simply, I mean, it was just a very lovely response. It was like, I don't know for the first TV show to feature so many Native stories. I just don't want to be the last. So I'm sort of wondering, what was that experience like being in that room and sort of getting on a show where you didn't ever maybe have to bear the weight of explaining uh, as much if that was a, a possibility in a space? like that and kind of what was that like as as your first time i guess writing for tv as well it must have been i don't know just sort of a fascinating first experience yeah 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 i mean i've had several professional experiences outside of comedy on my reservation in montreal where i worked mm-hmm. in organizations that were you know primarily native and i had native coworkers, and it was phenomenal and i haven't really had that since i was 18 mm-hmm. so all of my professional jobs since i actually prior to comedy worked in fashion and design went to Parsons, did the whole thing. So I I would I was working at like the J. Cruz, the Rag and Bones, and like those sort of <laughs> brands. And definitely 1,000% was the only native in the room. Weirdly enough, sometimes the only guy, which was very, uh, you know, 
fashion's fashion uh, <laughs> but you know i've had people ask me like can i use the word moccasin and i was like i'm the graphic designer like i'm not the, your guy to talk to for this so in this room it was it was incredible in the writer's room for my first professional staff writing gig to be with like sierra ed and mike was you couldn't pay for that it was so good and the diversity with the native writers was another aspect that was I want to say crucial to making an even better story because some of us are from the reservation. Some of us are urban. Some of us are, uh, you know, grew up with our families, didn't grow up with our families. And it was great because like you get to skip, we call it Indian 101. It's like when you're the only person in the room and you have to be like, oh, this is a powwow. This is when you say it. This is when you don't say it. This is a blah, blah, blah. So like (laughs) instead of having that conversation, we were able to dive into the other stuff that was far more nuanced and far more real. So like, say we were talking about casinos at one point, it was like, you have five native people in the room who have five very different opinions on it with five very different perspectives. Yeah, it was so great. And even apart from like the native writers on the room, the room itself was so great because it was like a lot of people who have been in the business for 10 plus years Mm. and a lot of us who have been there for four minutes. (laughs) And so it was like, it was such a great balance to be able to, to learn under these people. I... I truly can't thank them enough for it. And yeah, I'm, I'm always like out of words sometimes when I think about it. Because Sierra, my now boss, saw me at a UCB show. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You mentioned Thanks But No Thanksgiving, the Native American variety comedy show I put up in New York. I did it a year earlier at UCB. And it turns out someone else was doing the same exact thing at UCB West. So we connected, talked for a little while. And he was like, hey, come out to my show. Let's do it. Let's, you know, do some awesome native comedy. And I'm so happy I did because Sierra was in the audience. And I got a DM on Twitter the next day being like, do you got samples? And that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Always have them ready. Truly. (laughs) Always have them ready. I had a Bob's Burgers spec and a five minute web series. Yes. (laughs) There you go. I love that. It's been so great. And I, I feel incredibly lucky that we were able to have those 10 weeks together in person just to get the first writer's room nerves and all that out of the way so you can actually get into some storytelling. Yeah, that's yeah, it's wild because I imagine um, so much of the industry up until this point has sort of been Zoom rooms, if anything at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, reading about so many shows being sort of like put on pause and weird stages of development or just called off entirely. And it's, it's so mm-hmm. incredible to, to be seeing these stories that have maybe been taking longer to come out or were done right before the pandemic, but feel like they've already had to overcome so many other odds stacked against them in this industry that to yep. like sort of struggle <laughs> through a pandemic is like, all right, come on, like, we just got to chug to the top of the hill and then we're smooth sailing down like i mean like of course the first native sitcom happens and then a pandemic happens where right, it was like, like yeah <laughs> okay yeah that this adds up a plus b <laughs> equals c you monsters yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I also love the idea of just like connecting with somebody else that has similar ideas than you. And like, instead of going like the gay Twitter approach and being like, I did this first, it was like, hey, let's collaborate. What a concept. That's wild. That's beautiful. What a concept. And there's also like Rutherford Falls is one of several shows coming out now that have either full native stories or partial native elements in it. Uh, Reservation Dogs just wrapped, I think, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be an FX Networks, uh, Sterling Harjo's show. I feel like there's one on AMC, there's one on NBC, like all the networks are slowly like picking something up. And we're getting like a slew of it now. It's not just comedies that are coming out. It's also like we're starting to get some dramas that are like no longer leather and feather, mm. sad, you know, from the perspective of the, the white man, essentially. <laughs> like it's more so from the perspective of us. And it's great because the more we exist in those spaces as real people, the more people will realize that we still exist, which is a crazy thing to say. But like people don't know. When I went to college, 
I was the first Native person that most of my friends met. It's, it's insane. It's insane. And I, I think that's kind of the beauty of the show as well. Like that's sort of something that shines through that every character gets to exist as a person rather than mm-hmm. sort of like a, a mm-hmm. carbon cutout that has to explain their identity and their history, like somewhere in their line so that everybody, you know what I mean? It's like you kind of trust your audience to run with these people and get to know them as people. And I even think mm-hmm. to Jesse Lee's character, who's non-binary. And oh I, my God. I just love what they did with that show. And I also love that that was like never the source of like trauma or abuse. It was just a fact of their personality. And they delivered so many great lines. The one where they call Dustin Milligan, one of those reporters that looks too hot to trust was just really great. Not to like <laughs> quote and spoil the lines, but just like that line eviscerated me. And I think it's it's beautiful because everybody in that show really gets a chance to sort mm-hmm. of just shine and be a person who maybe makes mistakes, but is like literally, truly, genuinely aiming for the best. Truly, truly. Writing for Jesse was the highlight of many of the highlights on the show because I was like, oh, I could throw a Bella Hadid joke in here. Like, like I, I could do these things in this spot. Such a good time. Really such a good time. And so, okay, I want to throw it back before we take a very quick break. And I'm going to ask you about Mm -hmm. some pop culture stuff. I want to go back (laughs) to your character's welcome days. I want to ask in your large book, your history book of characters, Mm -hmm. if there was one where like the genesis or creation of a a particular character like really stood out to you or one that you hold near and dear to your heart that you just think is special. If there's a weird story behind and I'm sure there are. I haven't seen all of them, so this is why I ask. I would love to know. All good, all good. Truly, 80% of them are trash. So, like, it's, <laughs> I think it you is, have uh, to keep throwing yeah. until, right? Yeah. But exactly, exactly. Um, I have two, essentially. One that I did and one that I didn't do and I regret didn't do. Mm-hmm. So the one that I did that is my ultimate favorite is the one I did for the best of show at the end of the season, which was my Native American shaman character. It was the character I performed at the Native show, which Sierra saw me for my current job. Oh, awesome. And also, it was just... It was the most fun thing to write and to perform. The premise of the character is it's taking all the Hollywood tropes of like an ancient Indian burial ground or a Native American shaman and just switching on his head and making the ghost white instead of Native. So <laughs> it's it's a Native guy running around the house being like, hey, the blood says live, laugh, love. This isn't us. <laughs> Oh, man. And I made like, <laughs> to like explore that even further, especially within Characters Welcome, it's a four week process each time you write each character. So each week you bring it to the group and present your latest draft and you get notes. And it was the one time I remember from one of my characters where everyone was like, this, do this. Oh my God. You got to mention Cheesecake Factory. You got to mention <laughs> this. They were throwing things at me too that like I never heard of. So I was like, thank you. Like I have Barefoot Contessa. I don't know what that is. And then I threw it in. So it was a learning curve for me as well. I love that. Getting a crash course on like white people culture 101. There you go. That's like your... I thought I knew it. I thought <laughs> I knew it. And just the other character that I regret not performing that I want to was I was doing the Sacagawea dollar. The, the oh, dollar, not yeah. Sacagawea. <laughs> and just exploring jealousy that Harriet Tubman gets a 20. Well... <laughs> Sacagawea is stuck with the dollar. <laughs> There's something there. And I wish there I like, sat down with that. Till next time, I guess. Just women of color being forced to compete for currency in this country. It's the, the best our government can do to honor their legacies. It's insane. And it's such a summary of like the industry as a whole. Because it's like, I've done things where it's like, if there's another native in the room, I'm like, oh, I should leave because like I'm clearly not needed. I don't have a chance <laughs> at this thing anymore. Yeah. And just that weird capitalist thing of, of throwing people you've wronged on currency. Like I think the UK put Alan Turing on a new bill and I was like, well, <laughs> you all 
what come on now like we're good right we're good right yeah oh man there you go just woke capitalism doing weird things but again here you go right we're just like jerry falwell birthed the teletubbies terrifying (laughs) capitalistic gestures of a quote-unquote goodwill will certainly birth a great sketch one day (laughs) hell yeah ty we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back um i'm gonna ask you about one of your tweets and then something happening in the news that's really fluffy and superfluous and then we're gonna play a little game a a fun little segment uh at the end of the podcast but first we're going to take an ad break and we will be right back All right, we are back. I'm your host, Gabe Gonzalez. You probably just heard my voice, but now we're in the world of the podcast. My voice is hosting now. And we are back with our guest, Ty LeClaire. Ty, I want to I wanna ask you about Twitter. All right. You actually tweeted, retweeted something that excited me. And I wanted to ask you a bit more about it because it's in the news. Okay. So you uh, retweeted a little bit ago. And by that, I mean you officially endorsed someone else suggesting that Lori Beth Denberg should replace Ellen uh, on daytime TV. Lori Beth Denberg the comedian of all that, uh, who hosted yes. Vital Information. The only person I trusted more than Linda Ellerby, who coincidentally was also on Nickelodeon. <laughs> I mean... I am... Sh- yeah, right? Like, come on. Just... <laughs> they had the young news corner, ang- like, just really on, on lock. But I'm wondering if you are gutted by today's news that Lori Beth will not be taking over that slot, but instead Kelly Clarkson will be taking over that daytime slot for Ellen. Oh, I mean... Sure. <laughs> sure like yeah okay uh cool maybe we'll try again in 17 years that's how that works um it really you know, has been that long hasn't it <laughs> i think she needs to get her own show Lori beth if she decides to like jump into the spotlight right now i am front row and i sure i am not alone would fully be behind it I will forever watch the Dakota Johnson Allen interview. Oh, iconic. Every day. It's I that to me is is some of the most thrilling uh drama I've ever seen on television. Like that was just oh man, that that was my knives out. You know what I mean? It was really <laughs> Is she in Knives Out too? Because if not, oh maybe she should be. Yeah, (laughs) truly. (laughs) And you know, before we get to this game, I am wondering too: Have you had any like comfort watches or music or films that, like, during the pandemic, you were like, "This really helped me get through. This is going to be my Mm. my fun comfort watch for the day, my daytime TV, whenever you'd like." Oh my god, Uh, I have two, and they're very wildly different. Yes, I'm going to start with Monty Don. Big Dream Small Spaces on Netflix. He's a British gardener who transforms small backyards in London and around London. Oh. Truly some great gardens and truly some horrible ones. But like not in like a bad design sense, but in like a like this woman just like wanted an Alice in Wonderland one. And I'm like, okay, you you guys committed. <laughs> you committed to this backyard. And I respect that. Not for me. Um, but it's so calm, so delightful. And it definitely gave me a bit of like a green thumb throughout the pandemic. And my second watch is I will watch Mad Men every single day for as long as I live. I, it's just, I, I will say, I do think it was one of the funniest shows, like funniest written shows in the last 10 years. And it's like, not a comedy. It's not a comedy at all, but it has its moments. Like, have you watched the show? Yeah, The Lawnmower. It's the hardest the I've laughed on TV ever, ever. <laughs> Are you kidding? Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. Insane. Yeah. Insane. 
And the like one gay character who was just really queer on a plane for one episode and then like disappeared. I, you know, I laughed a ton. It was really fantastic. There's also the, the queer character that was um, her friend in the factory that from Girls. <gasps> oh, uh, true. In the later seasons. She was living her life. Was it Zosia Mamet? Yes. Yes. And she was like kind of like a beatnik. <laughs> Is that the right era? Am I in the right place? Okay, good. You're God forbid right I'd, be, yeah, I'd be historically inaccurate <laughs> with Mad Men. Cancel. Yeah. I will say I had like seen Christina Hendricks in Firefly and seeing her in Mad Men. I was like, oh, mm. okay. She's all right. Yeah, she's here for it. Um, for she's her. here for the long haul. Yeah. But I love, I love Christina it. Hendricks. All things, all things Christina. I was convinced I saw her and her husband driving <gasps> an old Volkswagen van in Maine. I'm convinced. You're going to set the state of Maine ablaze on, on a search, a wild goose chase. <laughs> Good luck, folks. This was yeah. also three years ago, but there's still time. <laughs> there's still time to vi definitely visit the diner Christina Hendricks may or may not have eaten out with her husband. That's got to be a, a mm -hmm. landmark sooner or later. <laughs> Before I let you go, I would like to play a little game with you. I like to call Give It To Me Straight, and the rules for this are very simple. I would like you to take a thing that is popularly perceived as being aggressively cishet, very straight, and give me yeah. three reasons why it is, in fact, very queer. So we're doing like a reverse Jerry Falwell here. Okay. Okay. And then just for reference on past episodes, I believe we had uh, cargo shorts were reclaimed yep. as a queer icon, the tote bag of the leg, if that helps you. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever you've got, there's no time limit. You've got we've got time to think on this idea. But I, I would like at least three reasons why this very straight thing is, in fact, very queer. OK, um, I'm going to go with hockey as a whole. Ooh, OK, yeah, I think it's very queer. It's queer canon. It's. Okay, three reasons. Come up three reasons. Um, the branding, A plus. Truly all about it. Brand loyalty. Just just like the fandom that comes with it, I think is like queer-esque. Uh, I think that's the only one. I gotta get two more. Let me try and think of two that's more. A, yeah, stands. Heavy stands is very queer. Heavy stands, yeah. heavy, heavy stands. Heavy It's like the sport is very aggressive. Mm-hmm. But it's also very, like, balletic at times. I think that's a word. I'll accept. The judges will accept, yes. It's got grace that is very not looked at. Like, mm. these guys are like six foot two, 240, 250, something crazy. And they are skating fast. And they are going, they're like backwards, turning around, hard you know, turns. This is my sports lingo, guys. Hard turns and balletic. I, yeah, we're just charting a new path That's, here. I love this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and let me think of the third one. The third one is competition. Ooh. I will mm -hmm. say the Stanley Cup every year is such a divisive event. It tears families apart. <laughs> um, I will never let my father know that I am wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs hat right now because I do not support the team. But a cute hat is a cute hat. Uh oh, there and you I go. am wearing yeah. it. For the record, we are a Red Wings family, devout. Um, but the competitive, recurring nature, it's, um, yeah. I, saw, I just saw the All Stars 6 announcement this morning and was like, oh, this is like when they announced new players. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Fully. Yes. I'll, I'll accept that. I love that. It is kind of a competitive drag show. You're doing very delicate things. You're being mm -hmm. very rough with people. You're sweating through a lot of padding. You're sweating mm -hmm, through a lot mm -hmm. of padding. Mm -hmm. And if anything, that's a drag race staple as well. All right. I love that. We'll absolutely <laughs> accept. Hockey is queer now. You've heard it here first. Done, done, done. You're going to hear it again. All right. You're going to hear men grunting and being delicate on the ice. And that's going to be ours now. <laughs>
All right, Ty, thank you so much for coming on the QWERTY podcast today. Before I let you go, I would love for our listeners to know where can they find you online or maybe see you next. Plug your socials and any any shows you got coming up. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ty underscore LeClaire. And everyone should be watching Rutherford Falls on Peacock. The entire season is streaming right now. Watch it once, watch it twice, watch it three times. And you might find me on episode eight. Yes! Scene on. <laughs> writer four and scene on. A little surprise. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's real. Thank you again for coming on the podcast, Ty. I do appreciate it. And if you're listening, please make sure you support the QWERTY podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review to our show right now, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get your QWERTY fix and read more about the stories we talked about every day uh, at QWERTY.com. This has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. QWERTY is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shereen Lani Yunez, music by Gabe Lopez, and executive produced by Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Montz. Forever! <laughs>